0: Welcome to the final episode of the Green Room Podcast with Neil Griffiths, presented on the Handshake Media Network. We're going to do a very special podcast about the end-of-year polls. I'm going to bring in my fine guest today, this week, Jess Dale, who of course does this week's releases with me every Friday on the themedic.com. Welcome, Jess.
1: Neil, thanks for having me along.
0: And of course, the king, the master, Andrew Mast. Welcome, sir. The
2: king. The King, indeed. And uh, allow me to explain uh, what we're doing here. Uh, For over a decade now, uh, we here at The Music poll our writers every year and find out what they look back as the greatest things that happened during the year in music, TV and film. Uh, Normally we present a special end-of-the-year print edition uh, of The Music, but due to COVID and 2020 being what it is, uh, we don't have a print edition this year, so we're rolling it out online, and we're presenting it here in this special edition of the Green Room podcast, thanks to the host, Neil Griffiths, for being such a generous host and inviting us on.
0: That was a way better intro than that. I wish you just <laughs> started the the podcast.
2: Well, thanks, Andrew. That's, that's, that's what I'm here for, to make you better.
0: So as Andrew said, we'll run through the categories, uh, what won, and have a bit of banter about it all. So let's get into it, friends. The first category on this list, Song of the Year. Jess, take it away.
1: Well, so huge category. I mean, absolutely massive year. Um, So we're going to run up from 10 to 1 in each of the categories. But this first one is actually tied for number 9, so we don't officially have a number 10 place. Um, We're heading into it with Tired Lions Waterbed and Fiona Apple's Shamika. Moving up the list to number 8, we have Bring Me the Horizon with Parasite Eve. Number seven is Bob Dylan's "Murder Most Foul." Number nine, Halsey's "929." Number five, Taylor Swift's "Exile" featuring Bon Iver. Uh, number four comes in for Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever with Cameo. Number three goes to Number One Dad's "Freedom Fighter." Number two goes to Oval Peck and Shania Twain's Never, "Legends Never Die," huge track. And, of course, number one for the year um, is Cardi B's WAP featuring Megan Thee Stallion. So absolutely huge list of songs and much to talk about.
2: It's an interesting result. Not a lot of Aussies. Um, Most years uh, when we have this poll, uh, Australians appear in a lot of the other categories but never never as many in this. And I think it's a good sign. Are we looking at some songs that might land in the hottest 100 uh, from Number One Dad's Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever and Tired Lion maybe? And that
1: Tired Lion track too, Just that was an early one. Um, it was the first track to be released off the new album um, that they've released. It's also marked this really interesting change in the band um, with Sophie kind of taking it to become more of a solo project and, and that was a, a really great addition to see on the list.
2: And uh, Orville Peck and Shania Twain, they got a big vote from me in this poll, but uh, we can't take it away. It really was the Anthem of the Year WAP from Cardi B and Megan The Stallion. Uh, you just couldn't escape it. You didn't want to escape it. It caused controversy. Um, I, You know, she, uh, this year we've seen Cardi B and uh, Megan Stallion just dominate everywhere in the media. And I think if we look back at the past, we'll see our winners in this category often reflect those anthems. Last year we voted for Billie Eilish's Bad Guy. Uh, the year before that was This Is America for Childish Gambino. Other winners have been... Green Light by Lord, which I know is a personal favourite of yours, Jess. Big fan. We've had uh, King Kunta by Kendrick Lamar, two weeks, FKA Twigs, back in 2013, an absolute anthem. Get Lucky by Daft Punk was our song of the year. Uh, before that, it was Elephant by Tame Impala. We go further back to 2011 and we see It's Somebody That I Used to Know by Goitia, so very much Um The the songs that that dominate our uh, song category are definitely the ones that reflect uh, what the anthems were in the year. You'll see last year um, Old Town Road came very close uh, to Bad Guy and so did Juice. So very much the inescapable songs uh, that we have here. And it's good to know that we joined Pitchfork and Rolling Stone as well, who have also declared WAP as their song of the year. So great result. This
1: one's also been really important too in terms of the ARIA singles chart, um, which they've actually, um, Megan Australian and Cardi B have actually broken a really long running record. Um, for the first time since 1992, uh, this is the most weeks at number one for a single um, for a female led hip hop song. And it also marks the first ever number one single in Australia for Cardi B. So, really big um, success and records there.
0: Andrew, you, crazy talk. St- you said before you mentioned the Hottest 100 and you rattled off a couple of songs we've had in past years. I'm sure at least four of those were number one on the Hottest 100. What do you think the chances are of WAP hitting number one next month?
2: I think the chances are very large. I've, I've read a few stories already where people are tipping it as the top song and it really was that kind of song that crossed over to everyone um we know that Megan Thee Stallion she, she was a buzz act two years ago and you, you've just seen it just get bigger and bigger and bigger she's already had it previously had a summer anthem um Cardi B's been so big so the combination of these two I think all roads point to winning the hottest 100 and it would be a great triumph too I think for them
0: mm. what about a close second
2: oh, yeah you're just putting me on this <laughs> correct <laughs> Oh, uh, that I couldn't. I, I wouldn't even uh, hazard hazard a guess at that. I I I, I don't think our number two, Oval Pechenai Twain. I think that <laughs> might be more a double J audience. Yeah. Um. So maybe maybe hopefully there'll be a, a local there. But it's been such a big year for Halsey and Dua Lipa. Um. I wouldn't be surprised if the, they turn out big in the hottest one hundred results as well. Okay. If it's
1: well- anything other than Legends Never Die, though, it is certainly wrong because that's all. <laughs> not- <laughs> Has
2: if, just, that is my number one of the year. And if anyone out there hasn't heard Orville uh, and Shania's duet, I suggest you get online and you watch the video because the just <laughs> the joy of those two artists performing together is something that you, you won't forget. It, it is an amazing video to watch.
0: Well, this is a perfect segue to go into Artist of the Year, not the Shania Twain part but the WAP part because we're going on now to Artist of the Year. Jess, tell us who won.
1: All right, so again, so many great artists to choose from here. Um, We actually have a four-way tie this year for position number 10, um, which goes out to Ballpark Music, Charlie XCX, Kylie Minogue and Rolling Blackout's Coastal Fever. Moving up to number nine, um, we've got Haim coming in, or Haim, depending where you're from, how you say it. Um, Not really, though, because it is their last name, so we'll say it how they say it. (laughs) But um, we move up to number eight with Fiona Apple. Number seven goes out to another Australian artist, Nick Cave, who's done huge things this year. Um, Phoebe Bridges takes out number six, who is an absolute highlight on Twitter. And if you're not following her, you definitely should. Uh, number five this year goes out to Bruce Springsteen. Number four is Run the Jewels. The incredible Sampa the Great takes out number three. Woo! We love her. Um, Sorry. <laughs> number two goes to Taylor Swift and, of course, number one. So you might think after our big chat about WAP uh, at the start there that it would be Cardi, but it's actually gone out to Megan The Stallion as our number one artist this year and I could not be happier about
2: it.
0: Okay, Andrew, uh, you why?
2: Promised, you promised me uh, that you were going to sing something when we got to number one artist. Uh... <laughs> you know what I did and I will go a little... Body, body,
1: body, 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 body. I just think that song um, Megan has just released has just been um, such a huge push for her for Artist of the Year. Um, she's obviously gone into that just so strong off the back of WAP. She's released her new album, which is called Good News. Uh, it came out at the end of November. It That song in particular, Body, I was looking at this before, is already up to 36 point, uh, 34.6 million views since the 20th of November. So she is just
2: huge. Well, well, I've got some other stats for you on We Are Not Alone. We are not <laughs> alone in thinking Megan the Stallion. And I feel a bit sorry for Cardi B, but <laughs> Megan the Stallion, we're not alone. She has been named as one of Time's 100 most influential people of the year and they've put her on the cover and the cover is stunning. I believe it was shot on location at Red Rocks. I could be wrong about that. She's been named GQ's Rapper of the Year and this year she became the first woman with three streaming number one songs in one year in America, possibly the world. I need to check up on that one. And as I said, already declared our Song of the Year um so it's 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 phenomenal and we're not alone in recognizing uh, her amazing talent um if you'd like i can tell you who she joins in the hall of fame of our artists of the year i was gonna say, I was like what do
0: you mean hall uh, of fame sure okay our hall of fame gotcha right
2: our hall of fame <laughs> it's it's a big building in the middle of canberra <laughs> so uh Last year, our artist of the year was Lizzo. So, again, we've, we've very much reflected uh, what someone who's definitely uh, on the pulse of things. Uh, before her in 2018 was Childish Gambino. In 2017, it was Kendrick Lamar. In 2016, of course, it was David Bowie. Uh, in 2015, it was Courtney Barnett. In 2014, FKA Twigs. 2013, we voted for Lord. In 2012, well, we recognised a tie that we could not separate the two, Tame Impala and Frank Ocean. In 2011, it was Goita. and 2010, it was The National. So no-one's actually taken out our title of Artist of the Year twice, but I think you'll see that Megan Thee Stallion very definitely um, fits a pattern of artists that, that left a big impression, not just in music but in popular culture, Uh, the year they the years uh, they were named our artist of the year
0: i was going to ask that andrew as far as putting the artist of the year um, category together and whenever i fill it out i always think like am i going on just because i like them is it because they had an album that just did crazy well is it based on streaming records like what do you think is the common theme when those last 10 names you just rattled off what is it that we're looking at here
2: I look when, when we get people to vote and um and we're talking it's quite right across our staff and our contributors and we try to get people to think about not just the music they produce, but but what else they did. So people have in the past have put forward actual producers, they've put forward songwriters, uh, they've put forward people uh, that have you know collaborated a lot, um, but also made their mark on social media, made their mark on media, and in Megan Thee Stallion's case, made, made their mark politically in uh, in some ways. If uh, if you see her recent interview with Stephen Colbert. She makes it pretty clear where she stands uh, in the uh, current uh, craziness of the uh, American, the wash-up of the American election, and I, I think I think people take all that into account.
1: I think too. Um- what you've just said there about pop culture as well. You couldn't look at these, both the song and Megan as the artist of the year. You couldn't look at both of these and not recognize the influence of TikTok and, and that what that has played into in 2020. Um, WAP and Body, you both see people online doing these dances that go along with it. And I think that has just played such a huge part into the role that these two incredible women have played this year in pop culture. And there's no denying TikTok's influence
0: in that yeah my favorite thing and, i wish this before but all the wap dances on instagram it's like jack black's version
1: oh my god
2: <laughs>
0: oh my god I, I
2: i i must say neil as jess promised earlier that she sang uh neil has promised that he will be on tiktok doing the body body <laughs> dance challenge uh at some point today so we very much look forward to that i, I want to point <laughs> out too uh uh, nick cave keeps not winning this award but uh, there's been quite a few years where he makes our top five or top 10 but he's he's never quite pushed it to number one but i'm pretty happy with the the results that we've had over the years especially especially having lizzo and megan the stallion back to back as our artists of the year i think that's very exciting
0: okay well that's two down we're moving on now to the film side of things ladies and gentlemen this is the film of the year. Jess, give us the list, please.
1: Okay, so I will walk into this uh, and give our listeners my little secret shame, which is that which is not so much of a secret in our office uh, and is a long-running joke about how I often don't see movies in the year that they have come out. Uh, so I would like noted that
2: decade. Yes, okay, cool.
1: I have seen two new movies that came out this year, none of which are on this list. I have seen a quarter of one of the movies
2: in our top ten. So, Whoa, good go. That's better than last year. So, that is better. Uh, I'm stepping up, Jess. Uh, yeah. Thank you.
1: <laughs> okay, so leading into it, coming in at number ten is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous em- em- Emancipation of One Harley Quinn.
2: Nailed it. Great now, film. Loved it.
1: Number nine goes out to Beastie Boys Story, um, Number eight is an interesting one. Uh, We come in with Tenant there, which actually was pushed back quite a few times for cinematic release. And, yeah, Andrew will take this one away.
2: Well, it's interesting. Tenant is turning up in everyone's end-of-year list but nowhere near the top, whereas previously a Chris Nolan film was guaranteed to be a film of the year. We've twice before uh, had Chris Nolan films as our film of the year. In 2010 it was Inception. And in 2012, it was the Dark Knight Rises. Yet here we are with a Chris Nolan film just coming in, uh, pretty low down in the top ten, and it's it's landing in that pos- position all over the world. So I think your theory is right. I think um, I think COVID, the setbacks, and maybe Chris Nolan's arrogant attitude, <laughs> maybe all played into uh, this. hasn't quite got the reception. It actually got some bad reviews. People were confused. Um, I've not even seen it because I haven't stepped foot in a cinema this year at all. Uh, How about you, Neil?
0: Yes, yes, I've seen it. Love it. But it's like, it's classic Chris Nolan. Like you walk out going, the fuck did I just watch? I'm not quite sure I understood what happened. But you just say you do and then people think you're smart. That's what I found.
2: (laughs) I'm still pretending I understood Inception, so.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, we'll go jump back in the list. I think we're at number seven, Jess.
2: Number seven goes
1: out to my octopus teacher. Number six goes to The Trial of the Chicago 7. Number five, The King of Staten Island. Number four, and the movie that I have seen one quarter of, Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga.
2: Ironically, if I can just butt in here, you've seen it one quarter of the way through. I think Neil's watched it 400 times. (laughs) That more than makes up for your lack of viewing of it. It's pretty great. I think so. And now the top three. We need another drum roll.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three is another Netflix special there, uh, The Devil All The Time. Uh, number two goes out to Amazon, uh, which I think we need to look into, Andrew. This might be our highest ever ranking Amazon film. I,
2: I am looking and I think you are correct. Yes, indeed um, you are which is Palm
1: Springs, and then our number one for the year, again, Ooh. another Netflix one,
2: I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Indeed. that's uh, There's a few things I'd, I'd like to bring up here. This is the most streaming films that have ever been in our top ten. Last year we had zero streaming films in our top ten films of the year. So this year it has completely uh, flipped around and, yeah, we have uh, seven Seven streaming films. So we get a big result from Apple and we get a big result from Amazon as well. Apple was the Beastie Boys film, Amazon being the Palm Springs film. Uh, But for Netflix, it's just, yeah, it's just hands down. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things, the devil all the time, Eurovision Song Contest. The Trial of Chicago 7 and probably the surprise hit of the year, uh, My Octopus Teacher, which I haven't seen but it really captured a moment uh, in isolation where I think people were really looking for something to feel good about and it just turned into this sleeper, feel-good hit. Um, I believe it it featured on Gogglebox in Australia and after they watched it on Gogglebox, it became a huge hit in Australia as well. Uh, So... It definitely was the feel-good of the year. Uh, I also want to point out that I am one of the people that was in love with I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It was one of the oddest experiences I have uh, ever (laughs) had the pleasure of enduring this year. I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it, but the film plays around with time and expectations and your perception of reality. And the first time there's a shift in that, I was sitting there going, Oh, good God, continuity have totally mucked up the <laughs> makeup and the hair on these actors. And five minutes later, they were different again. I was like, oh, right, <laughs> I see what's going on here. So it's not your normal blockbuster film that, that tops our list here. And uh, the star of the film uh, as well, she had a, a massive year. And I've gone and forgotten her name. It's Jessie Buckley, am I correct? Correct. Yeah, so uh, it's been an interesting year for her. She came about out of nowhere a few years ago and actually got top billing on a musical out of the blue called Wild Rose. So this absolute unknown landed the lead in Wild Rose. If you've seen it, it is one of the most uh, amazingly enjoyable films you'll ever see. Uh, Then she popped up in Judy last year. She had uh, quite a strong role in Judy. And uh, we also saw her in the big hit UK series Taboo, and then she was in Chernobyl. So within four years, this woman has just been in blockbuster TV shows and blockbuster films. And then this year, with I'm thinking of ending things, she doubled that up with an appearance in Fargo. And if you read the reviews of this season of Fargo, they're only talking about her and Chris Rock. It's like no one else was, it was, and we're talking Timothy often was in it. But yeah, everyone's ignoring her. So I think, I think, um, did not see this coming as the number one film, but it's certainly, I think, very much uh, reflective of the kind of year that Jesse Buckley had. Um, And I know I'm ranting, so I just want to say (laughs) this really breaks uh, a mould for our films of the year. So in the past, it has been massive blockbuster after massive blockbuster. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Black Panther, Blade Runner 2049, Deadpool, Mad Max Fury Road, Gravity, And as I said, the the Chris Nolan blockbusters, only twice before in our history have non-blockbuster-type films uh, been voted number one, and that was in 2014 with the Grand Budapest Hotel and 2011 with Drive, which was almost like an indie blockbuster anyway. So, yeah, very interesting result, and I think, again, we can blame COVID, we can blame isolation. People definitely changed uh, how they went about entertaining themselves with films this year.
0: I mean... In saying that, though Andrew, the next year twenty twenty one releases, so many of them are already going to premiere on streaming services. It, I mean, what was it? Would Warner have announced that their entire twenty twenty one slate will be on HBO Max and things like that. Like it's, I think. That, remember, this year is the year that streaming services, the new cinema.
2: Yeah, um, that of course, there's uh, lawsuits going on left, right, and center by the sounds things, or about to start. Mm. Um, a lot of movie producers aren't happy with this move. But I think we as cinema goers have voted and we we seem very happy uh, to be watching these blockbusters. But really uh, Mulan didn't work uh, at going straight to cinema, but I think the bigger test is going to be how Wonder Woman fares at Christmas and I don't know anyone that wouldn't be watching this if mm. it was available to stream on Christmas Day. Mm. Um, I, here in Australia we're not getting it streamed, I don't believe, not yet, uh, I but, don't think. Uh, yeah, in America and England, I, I think in England, particularly where everyone stays inside on Christmas Day and watches TV, I think uh, the viewing results of Wonder Woman streaming could change, could be a game changer, uh, whichever way it goes. It, it'll it'll change what's going to happen next year, that's for sure.
0: All right, well, that is films done. And uh, Jess and Andrew, I've had a great time with you so far, but I'm going to politely kick you out of the conversation right now because you're boring me. And we're going to throw it to a long-time friend of the music, Bridget Crisfield, a contributor, writer for the company. She is joining me right now to talk about the international performance of the year. Bridget, welcome to the podcast. This is obviously a tricky category because, what, as of March there weren't a lot of live performances, so this included live streams, um, you know, YouTube performances, but you came in, your number one vote was the one that took out top spot, and that was the Queen and Ada Lambert tour which would have been in, what, early February, right?
3: Yeah, it was February, um, and I also double-dipped because I went up for Firefight Australia. Right, So probably having seen them twice, they particularly dominated my memories as well. (laughs) But, um, yeah, you can't really go past 75,000 punters doing the Radio Gaga overhead clapping pattern. Yeah. It was pretty phenomenal.
0: See, I was going to say that because for people who may not may not know you, you are quite the live music aficionado. You have seen more live music than I have seen anything in my life. So tell me why. Why is the Queen and Adam Lambert tour number one? Why is it the best of the year?
3: Well, I think um, because of the movie, um, the crowds have just gotten bigger bigger and bigger for them. And there's also a sense of celebrating him. I feel like um, some purists have not gone to the Queen plus Adam Lambert shows because they think that he can't replace Freddie, but he doesn't try to and he's made that quite clear. So there's kind of a bit of a celebration of his achievements and the fact that you can still enjoy Queen songs live, which wouldn't be possible without him. Um, and I loved, yeah, the Firefight Australia one. They replicated Queen's 1985
4: Live
3: Aid set mm-hmm. and they kept it a surprise, but – Yeah, it was incredible, like, being sort of down the front section. Everyone was whispering that they were doing that as they were doing it, and as soon as that, you know, that AO bit, Mm. and it had actually Freddie on the screen kind of leading that call and response, and at that time everyone was like, are they doing the Live Aid set? (laughs) And it was. So, yeah, it just felt like a really special moment in history for those of us that weren't able to get to Live Aid.
0: Have you seen Queen live at any other point in your life?
3: Um. Well... This was the third time they have come here with Adam. Yeah, I've seen them every time they've come to Australia.
0: Yeah. How yeah. was how the reaction from some of the older Queen fans? Obviously, for those who know Adam Lambert, you know, he came up through American Idol. He is very much a, a pop singer. His audience, would, you would have to say, leans on the younger demographic. Did the oldies embrace Adam as much as they would, you know, the next best thing outside of Freddie Mercury, right?
3: Yeah, well, I feel like um, the people that wouldn't just stay away. Um, but it's kind of a shame because when you're part of the whole experience and Adam's there, you know that he's, he's not trying to be Freddie. He just has his own kind of interpretation. And if anyone can bring that kind of pomp and ceremony that Freddie did, it's Adam, Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go through the rest of this top ten list. You tell me if you've seen any of these bands. And again, remember, this is live. It could be live stream, whatever it may be. So Queen and yep. Adam Lambert came in at number one. We got Tool at number two, Dermot Kennedy at three, Orville Peck at four, Halsey at five, Mac DeMarco at six, Pixies at 7 Aha at eight, Of Monsters and Men at nine, and Earl Sweatshirt at ten. Have you seen any of these bands before?
3: I reckon I've seen five of them. <laughs>
0: okay. Which one? Yeah. Do you know which ones?
3: If you go again, I can say yay or no. Tool? Yes. Well, I don't know whether I saw that tour this year, but I have seen them before. Dermot Kennedy? Yeah. Um, Haven't seen. Orville Peck? Have not seen. Halsey? Haven't seen. Mac DeMarco? Have seen. Um, I love it as well. He did sort of a weird event that was raising money for the bushfires. It was like a barbecue, Mm. and he kind of just turned up and was charging for selfies, and all that money also went to the bushfires, so yes. he just seems like an absolute legend of a chap. Pixies. Seen them, yep, at Festival Hall, I think, when they did a heritage kind of album in full tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was excellent.
0: Okay, and number eight was Aha.
3: Aha was unreal, and in fact, I think I forgot about that one because <laughs> my number two was Hot Chip and my number three was New Order. Right, but okay. yeah, Aha was just before everything went to shit. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, everyone was just wondering whether he could still hit the super high notes. Yeah, without a doubt, he absolutely could. Well, it's it was fun- unbelievable. It's
0: funny that Pixies came in at number seven because they only played the Melbourne show and Golden Plains and they had to cancel the rest of the tour because just like, aha, that's when everything started to close down. Oh, wow. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And um, congr- no congrats on picking the number one uh, international performance of the year.
3: Yeah, maybe there's a
0: prize in that. (laughs) Yeah, look, talk to Andrew He's um, Yeah, I will. I'll get in
3: touch.
0: Don't know if it's going to be monetary or just a lolly. Either (laughs) way, I'm sure he'll help you out.
3: Unreal. Thanks heaps, Neil.
0: Bridget, thanks so much.
3: No worries. Bye.
0: Big thanks to Bridget for coming on the podcast. And before we throw back to Andrew and Jess, uh, we're going to go to another music staff member right now in Mr. Sam Wall. Sam, welcome to this special podcast, my friend.
4: Howdy, Neil. Lovely to be here.
0: Uh, For those uh, podcast listeners of themusic.com.au, you may remember Sam from The Lashes. Where is The Lashes, Sam? (laughs) Where is it? Give the people what they want.
4: Uh, I don't know. It's all been so good this year that we weren't able to come up with any backlashes, so we (laughs) had to drop it.
0: (laughs) What a year for it, huh?
4: Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a little bit too overwhelming, to be honest. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well, similar to what we did with Bridget, uh, you're here to talk about the best Australian performance of the year. You picked this artist at number one, so I thought it's best to pester you about it, which was Sampa the Great. Um, Sampa the Great. Where did you see Sampa?
4: Uh, so I got her at Golden Plains, which was, I think, the very last thing, maybe two days before lockdown kicked in in Victoria. mm mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it was pretty spectacular. Um, it was after the dark, after dark in the stop, so specifics could be a little bit spotty. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the mood was amazing. Uh, I think she actually started a half an hour late for tech difficulties. And then uh, the moment the switch was on, she came out and it was just huge. Like the energy from and the stage all the way up to the pink flamingo was crazy. Uh, she had like, full band and matching outfits and, you know, sensible Jay on drums and final form in person. It's just, you can't really beat it. Yeah. I mean,
0: obviously people who didn't get to go to Golden Plains probably would have seen her performance at the Aries, which was probably the highlight of the whole show, let alone just the performances. As far as a live show, is that kind of what you saw live on stage?
4: Uh, no, it was a different vibe. Uh, that's probably like a, uh Video clips, I think, in the the movement, in the position, that like even just her videos, everything is so down pat. Like, mm. um, I think her and whoever she's working with, they just always have every last thing really well thought out and kind of nail it out of ten. Um, but yeah, on like live in person on stage was a different vibe, but still like masterclass.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Another person um, I know you saw, of course, Nick Cave. He's a legend. He's coming at number two on the best Australian performance list. Uh, you did a review for the Idiot Prayer live stream concert. Tell us about it, man.
4: Well, uh, Nick Cave, that live stream was something so unique in itself. Like, obviously, we lost out on so many tours, uh, so many shows this year, um, and you know, Nick comes out. And yeah, things like isolate and delivered live and people doing stuff on their, uh, Instagram or their own socials. And, uh, it was really, uh, a lot of it was really personal and close, but, um, the way Nick did it, you know, to this degree, cause, uh, Nick Cave doesn't really do anything small, like to do it in a, God, whatever the palace, I can't, alley pally, um, And just the cinematography of it and the, I think the isolation of it was really intense. Um, It's like quite, quite intimate with him, but then in that huge space just by itself, um, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty on the nose for doing something in COVID and having it be like a direct statement to performing COVID. Um, And plus it was just like seeing him do his own songs, stripped down to piano and, his delivery, which, like, I don't know, he's been doing it so long, there's no one that really performs like Nick Cave. So yeah. it, was, it was a hell of a watch. Well,
0: before we, we let you go, the, the list that we have here, obviously Samper at one, Nick Cave at two, Paul Dempsey at three, Angie McMahon at four, Kylie Minogue at five, Hayley Mary at six, and is at seven. Is, is that pretty bang on?
4: Yeah, I agree with all of those. Um, I think Dempsey, another absolute classic. Uh, Angie has been doing so much good stuff, like, this year and last. Amazing, and that solo, uh, like, piano performance she did for the first Isolate was, like, amazing. Kylie, another one that's absolutely, like, who's going to take swing? Kylie, she is the queen of disco and pop. Um, Hail Mary, another amazing one, and Ganyu's have been, I think they, they went year before last and came maybe second or something in the 2019 one. Like, their yeah. live game is off hook. Yeah, I, Yeah, absolutely no fault. I think our writers have done a really good job.
0: Well, thanks, Sam. I appreciate that. Cause I was one of those writers. <laughs> so I want to take that as a personal compliment. Thank you for coming yeah, on. man. I mean,
4: everyone except you. I've read your Jesus.
0: Yeah, I don't honestly like my, a lot of my picks barely, I barely scratched it. So I did awful, but I'm going to take the compliment anyway, <laughs> Sam. Thanks for coming on, man. It's good to hear your voice on a podcast again. Hashtag bring back yeah. lashes.
4: <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity, Neil. Maybe I'll see how I go next year.
0: <laughs> thanks Sam. Appreciate it, man. Gotcha. Big thanks to Bridget and Sam for coming on to tell us a little bit about these categories. Unfortunately and begrudgingly now bringing back in the wonderful Andrew Marst and Jessica Dale. Welcome back, guys. Sorry about that. I just had to talk to some more important people.
2: Uh, I have to say, uh, Bridget probably sees more gigs than any other human being <laughs> on the planet. So uh, she's a great expert to have in uh, talking about live music because I know she's had a frustrating year of not being able to see bands mm. this year.
0: Well, I know you're a stickler for fun facts, Andrew. So we'll jump back quickly into the international performance of the year.
2: Uh, tell us about it. Tell us the list. What's going on? Well, Jess has a little fun fact to point out about this year's list.
1: I do. Going over to our international gigs, uh, obviously we just had a bit of a chat about it there, uh, but it's really an interesting result given that uh, so much of this year has been online and, and these live-streamed gigs. Uh of our ten shows, there's actually only one that has been a live stream gig, which goes out to Dermot Kennedy, uh, who, Neil, you're a big
0: mm-hmm. fan of. <laughs> quick fun story. Remember this, Andrew, when I said in 2017, hey, have you heard of Dermot Kennedy? And you're like, yeah, I've heard of Dermot Kennedy. I was like, he's pretty great. And you're like, yeah, he's all right, I guess. And then I've, like, kept you up to date with his life since, and you're like, yeah, whatever. And he's made the top ten. I don't care what, <laughs> what anyone I, what, says. What I like
2: about that story, is Neil, is you've actually tried to be nice to me because <laughs> I think you asked me what do I think of Dermot Kennedy? And I said, who? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> You, you yeah. had to explain who he was well, to I me, w- so, yeah, I, I g- I'll let you take that one. I
0: gave up on trying to like convince you on him because the live stream that he's been he's been the list for is that some summer night show he did at the National History Museum in London. And, like, it was a live show in the sense that they were doing it in different rooms throughout the museum. And while they were changing sets, Andrew's mate from Normal People, Paul mescal would just pop up and do some poetry.
2: I'm there for that. I, I, whatever whatever he wants to do he can do I, <laughs> I saw him in that rolling stone video where he danced badly and i think cried well he paul maxville can do what he wants hey so jess you're saying that uh so all all the top gigs were actually live tours that came to australia during the year yeah there...
1: remember remember those wasn't that fun <laughs> um so yeah were obviously were
2: we there had festivals or tour to spots.
1: Um, we had a really great blend of, of them. So uh, there were things like you're looking at the list there and it's Earl Sweatshirt for Laneway, Of Monsters and Men for Falls and their sideshows. The Pixies obviously played Golden Plains um, and they did one sideshow in Melbourne before having to cancel the rest of the tour. Um, that was right. Golden Plains was probably the last festival to really get a run for the year um, before everything had to shut down. Um, Halsey came out for Falls, Orville Pei. Pair- who i just could not be more obsessed with and i'm so sad i missed his uh his shows but he came out off the back of Mona Foma and Sydney Festival and then did some solo shows as well. Um, but the two main ones are Queen and Adam Lambert and Tool um, both came out off the back of their own of their own tours. Um, but Queen and Adam Lambert obviously making that huge performance at Firefight Australia and just playing to an absolutely massive crowd in the stadium um, and then with it broadcasting around the country as well.
2: So despite all the amazing international live stream events this year. Our writers, our contributors, they just want to be back in a room with the band sweating on them, something I'm very <laughs> nervous about, but I, I get it. I've, I've totally missed it, but I've watched so many streaming gigs. An interesting thing, though, when we saw that Queen and Adam Lambert were the winners, we thought, hmm, that's an interesting result. It's very mega uh, stadium mainstream for us, but I looked back at the past winners and it's actually pretty much a pattern. It's, it's uh, very much big marquee acts uh, that take out our International Live Performance of the Year. Last year was Childish Gambino. Uh, Previously we've seen Kendrick Lamar, Patti Smith, The Cure, Blur, Radiohead, Portishead, Metallica. But the only artist I can see that's taken it out twice is Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. So um, let's see if uh, Adam and Queen are coming for his crown next year.
0: And touching on the Australian live artist the year, obviously Sampa the Great took out that category. Um, Andrew, what were the, the past winners there? Is there a theme there?
2: Uh, well, there's a great theme straight off the bat, Sampa. This is her second year in a row of winning it. And uh, it's the second year she's beaten Nick Cave. <laughs> so only one other artist has uh, won it outright twice, and that's Violent Soho. However... Nick Cave has topped it twice, but with different acts. So uh, in 2013, he was our favourite with uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. But in 2011, he topped it with Grinderman. Um, other winners have been Tame Impala, Dirty Three, uh, Courtney Barnett, Midnight Oil, and Gang of Youths. But Sumper's put herself right up there now with uh, Violent Soho and Nick Cave as one of our all-time favourites. But it was a tough tally this year, wasn't it, Jess?
1: It was actually a really tough one, and and there's a couple of artists who, because of these the 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 amount of live stream shows. Um, so I mean, you look at something like Isolade, which has just been an absolute hero of the year. Isolate, I think, are, are just under a thousand um, artists that have performed on there. Now they just have this incredible. What? I'm pretty sure, Neil, that was the the stats that we mm, saw last week. That's um, great, it's huge. Um, they've obviously again partnered with TikTok now, uh, but it just shows how huge these events are and and what artists have been able to achieve in a year which has been so sad for life during so people are getting out there and supporting uh these events uh or getting out there staying at home on the couch and supporting these live events um but you look at someone like uh some of the great who has obviously taken it out um off the back of a lot of um live performances there's uh Falls in Frio, Golden Plains Festival, um, Bushfire Benefit. She's also did that incredible performance at uh, at the Arias, which you just cannot get past at all. So it's a really interesting split. You look at someone like Nick Cave, though, who is doing it off the back of that incredible performance at Alexandra Palace, which we've done a review of on the site, if anyone wants any more information about that, and you should definitely go and and read that, check it out. Uh, Paul Dempsey off his social streaming, uh, which has just been a really beautiful um, way of connecting with artists as well as his fans. So that incredible performance he did with Bernard Fanning from Powderfinger um, was just really beautiful and a real highlight of the year. Um, someone like Angie McMahon, though, has done a solo live uh, solo piano concert off the back of her Piano Salt album. Uh, She's done a live stream gig for the Triple R Radiothon. She was at the first Isolade, all these kinds of things. And then, of course, Kylie. I just
2: want to point out that I actually really enjoyed all the streams. I watched so many Isolades. I never missed a delivered live. And I saw performances that I felt were really intimate um, and really touched me. Uh, June Jones on... Uh, isolate was just one of the most fragile beautiful moving performances I've seen in my life and the fact that she was able to do that uh just her sitting in front of the camera and reaching out to an audience she didn't know whether anyone was watching how many were watching uh that that was uh, absolutely beautiful and um a cry club did an amazing amazing set I think it was on delivered live I think they also did isolate as well and they just Proved uh, like they're already one of my favourite live bands. Watching them in a pub, but to see how they reinterpreted that uh, for for a performance, and I just saw some acts give some of their best work. Alex the Astronaut uh, did an absolutely moving performance for delivered live. I you know I and I love the fact that local artists and I, I really believe this Australian artists adapted to this quicker than anywhere else in the world, and probably thanks to isolate and then thanks to delivered live giving them an even kind of. Uh, More live, live type of space to perform in. But uh, I also have to admit, we are producers here at the Music of Delivered Live. So, uh, just in case I sound like a fanboy, I just I am. But I need you to know, we produce that out of here.
0: Well said, guys. I was going to say, I was like, I didn't know how to wrap that up properly, but you did it nice and well yourselves.
2: That's the live. Uh, Unlike yourself, Jess and I, professionals. (sighs) Don't start. (laughs)
0: Just be here on time is all I'm saying.
2: All right, moving on
0: to the second last category of the writers' polls. We're going to TV now. TV shows of the year. Jess, what is the list, please?
1: All right, here we go. So we actually have a tie for position number 10, which goes out to Killing Eve and The Great. Um, The Great was one of my absolute favourite shows of the year. Um, so funny, so witty. So moving up to number nine was of course um, Search Party, which had a huge season. Um, I think this year really bolstered by the fact that it landed on Stan. So a lot more accessible for a lot of our, um, for our contributors, everyone's seeing it. So moving on to again, another tie for seventh place this year, The Last Dance, uh, which obviously the Michael Jordan, uh, Chicago Bulls uh, saga there, that was just an incredible one. Neil, I know you were a big fan of this as well.
0: Yes, sure. Of course. Michael Jordan, Space Jam. Love it. Bulls, Bulls
2: Dynasty. And
1: then That, of course, um, was presented by the fact that they had shot all of this incredible footage. Um, it's been in the vault for a very, very long time. Andrew cannot stop laughing at that Space Jam comment. Um, so I think we may have lost him there. Um, but that, of course, is tied in the spot there with Tiger King. Murder, mayhem and madness. Um, that was a real... Uh, Sweep there for that show. Um, I feel like every time that you would get on Instagram and social media, you'd just be seeing meme after meme after meme of the target King in that early isolation period.
2: Can I just add very quickly? I didn't even know there was a subtitle to that show's name until you just read it. There, <laughs> like, I thought that was kind of like you. the tag of I, the show. Well,
1: okay, moving up to number six. There, we've already spoken about it briefly before. Normal people, um, which people just absolutely fell in love with. Number five. Coming into number five uh, was Better Call Saul. So I myself have just wrapped up Breaking Bad for the first time. So you can look forward to me talking about Better Call Saul in about four years' time when I get around (laughs) to watching that. So (laughs) uh, moving up to number four uh, is I May Destroy You, which is just um, one of the most incredible TV shows to come out in I would say the last decade, written by Michaela Cole, directed by Michaela Cole, um, telling her own story. Uh, It is not an easy watch. Um, Andrew, we'll take it away here.
2: I, I just want to say that uh, this is another one that's been topping everyone's uh, best of year list, so it's it's a, it's a shoe in for it to have ended up so high in our list. And not only that, incredible stories have come out of this, how Michaela Cole, uh, she's been one of the few people to speak up against Netflix. Uh, this show was meant to be on Netflix. Uh, she walked away, left her American agent, and then was brave enough to speak up against it. And I think when you watch this show, uh, you can see why she was so emboldened. It's, it, it's as you said, it is one of the most difficult shows to watch. Uh, Michaela Cole herself asks people not to binge it. She asks them to watch one episode, take a week, watch another episode, take a breath, do something fun uh, in between episodes. But that said, the show does have joy and is isn't it just it's so accomplished
1: okay so moving on to number
2: three is high fidelity which actually uh sadly got cancelled well there you go this is another one this this came out was considered a flop and then over the year word of mouth has just turned it into one of the hot favorites I'm hearing rumours that it's being shopped around, so it might get picked up because the makers of the show have actually divulged what the plans for season two was. And if you've watched the show, you know it was it's, it was a, a reboot of the film, uh, which was uh, an adaptation of the book. It was uh, updated. Uh, the gender, the roles were gender flipped. Uh, they made a much more diverse cast, much more diverse storytelling but it was really based around uh, this woman who owned a record store. And in season two, they were going to open it up to all these amazing characters that surrounded her that became fan favorites. So they're actually going to roll out and explore the stories. And for anyone that's a fan of music, it was, it was, it was amazing when they went to see bands, it felt like you really were seeing a band. Um, The talks they had around the record store were absolutely record store nerd conversations and people have been devastated to find out that we can't explore the rest of these characters. So um, stay tuned. It might reappear, and I'm very, very happy to see this one so high up in our list. Okay, so number two, uh, and
1: Neil and I are just going to nerd out here for a little (laughs) second uh, to chat about this, is The Mandalorian, which... Such an incredible show, and I will kick it off by saying Timothy Oliphant making a cameo appearance in there was just one of the highlights of the year for me.
0: Okay, I want to talk about season two because now we know the names of some certain people, but we can't say anything. Mm. So season one's great. Season two's better. So if season one is at two, pending a, a killer show next year, Mandalorian should be at one. There I said it.
1: It could be, Neil, it could be Obi-Wan Kenobi, the it new show good. that they've just announced <laughs> as well. So let's see where we land with that next year.
0: I got griped to that number one, by the way.
1: You shouldn't. Okay, number one, our favourite show of the year goes out to, of course, that beautiful, beautiful Canadian comedy, Shits Creek.
0: No, okay, oh, context. I'm very happy. Context. I love Shits Creek. Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, love them. Love them my whole life. Here's the thing, though. Is it possible, Andrew, because he's just staring right now, and I'm not saying this with hate, I'm just curious, is it possible that in the last season that won all these awards, is it because the show was ending? Did they kind of get the, oh, yeah, finishing way? In the same way that, like, everyone went up in arms when Steve Carell didn't win Best Actor for Michael Scott when he left.
2: Step back. It's it's been around since 2015.
0: Suddenly the last season is the greatest thing that's ever
2: happened. Come on. No, no. No, no, no. Uh, Neil, you are kind of 50% right. What you had happen was everyone, no one watched the show when it went out live season one. Mm. So a few people on the Canadian network, very few people in America saw it. As most great um, comedies
0: do, no it, one watched season, season one.
2: <laughs> but as word of mouth spread over five years, you suddenly had everyone catch up. So whereas everyone had watched one to five at different times, when season six landed, Everyone watched it at the same time. And I think that's why you've got this explosion. But not only that, there was definitely, uh, and, and we, this is where I agree with you, people felt like Catherine O'Hara finally deserved... She did. ...all these years of playing these great comedy roles and never getting recognition. It was a real, hey, can we, can mm. we just recognise how amazing this woman is? And, you know, Eugene Levy was always considered like this B-grade comedian, but no, he wasn't. He's an A-grade comedian. One of my favourites. And I think... This also was another show that streamed during lockout, the peak of, of lockdown, of people isolating, and it just brought so much joy to people at the right time. It was a, a, show, a simple show about uh, simple finding the good in people. And I think it's a whole world at that time just wanted to see that. And so I, I agree with you. I think that's 50%, but I think the other 50% is. Everyone watched it at the same time.
1: I, I think, too, we can't go any further without talking about um, Daniel Levy, who's obviously one of the co-creators um, and really the creative lead on this show. And just the, the there's so much heart that he brings both to his character, David, um, but also to his writing for all of the characters. And just that show, obviously, it is a lot of their family that's involved in the making of it, um, so Eugene being his dad and um, his sister, Sarah, who played Twyla in the series as well. Um, so it really was a family um there but they're just their extended family those characters they created were amazing
2: i just want to note something that's really important to me to see and 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 jess touched on this this was a a queer creator uh with a a queer storyline at the foreground of this family thing and that was never the storyline the story wasn't about coming out or anything like this it was just the acceptance of a queer couple i grew up not having role models like that Um, When I was watching sitcoms as a kid, I had to be happy that Roseanne maybe had a nod to a gay or a bisexual character, you know, and so to see this presented as as just normal in a way that's way ahead of anything modern family ever did, um, yeah, I think it's been a really important um, breakthrough for uh, queer creatives. Of being able to present this in in such a beautiful way, it wasn't just a one season plotline or a one episode plotline. This was a story about a family and 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 bringing their their son's boyfriend into their lives as a part of their family. And who can can't hear simply the best anymore without tearing up. I mean, come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, before we wrap up this uh, category, move on to the next one, Andrew. What have been some of the past year's best shows?
2: Well, this is interesting because we've seen the pattern shift over the last decade, and um, Shit's Creek, much to your protest, uh, actually fits <laughs> a pattern that's uh, emerged in the last three years. So, originally, back in twenty ten, True Blood was voted yeah, wow. okay. our most popular show. People don't even remember that, and it's about to get rebooted. It was one of those shows that just fizzled out. People really fans turned on it, and it lost its popularity quick. Smart. After that, Breaking Bad was voted our favourite show for three years in a row. Then True Detectives' first season was voted our favourite show in 2014. Then Game of Thrones in 2015. And then Stranger Things uh, in 2016 and 2017. But then that's when the switch happened. In 2018, The Good Place became our favourite show. So it was the first time a little comedy got there. Last year it was Fleabag and this year it's Shit's Creek. So has there been a shift in, in what our contributors, our writers are looking for in their show of the year? Uh, I, I think that's very interesting to see Better Call Saul, which is a, a spin-off from a show that's been voted three times our favourite show of the year, only just manages the top 10 every year now but never quite get up to the number one spot. So I think um, I, I think the way that our, our viewing habits and all that have changed. Also, last year it was dominated by Netflix shows this year, Stan dominated our top, our top wow. ten. And so that's really incredible. So it shows you, I think, that, um, I mean, everyone's watched more TV this year. I've seen eight of those shows <laughs> in our top ten. I mean, that is crazy. And uh, I think that uh, Stan has levelled the playing field during, um, during isolation. So that, that's amazing. You've you Better Call Saul, Normal People, Search Party and The Great All huge hits for Stan. Uh, But we're also seeing Disney Plus in here and we're seeing um, Foxtel, who used to probably show out much stronger, Um, and we're also seeing ABC iview because that's where High Fidelity was living. And that's amazing because the iview platform has become the biggest network catch-up platform in Australia. It does amazing numbers and not just for watching Bluey. So people... (laughs) People uh, watch and people watch Shit's Creek there as well. The um, the reruns of Shit's Creek appear there as well.
0: That was perfect. Perfect. Well, not ending yet. Perfect segue into the ending, which is the final category. Drum roll, please. Does, does doesn't. Okay, I thought he had a drum roll sound effect. That's embarrassing. That's really embarrassing.
2: jazz. <laughs> yes. you, you never were a beatboxer. <laughs>
0: jess album of the year
1: let's do it (laughs) all right um so coming in at number 10 here we have haim with women in music part three uh followed closely by number nine which is uh cable ties with far enough which that album is just incredible and they are just such a force coming out of melbourne i cannot uh speak highly enough of cable ties and what they're doing
2: They also did some great um, live streams as well. So um, I, I, I wish that one was higher, but I'm just happy to see it in the top ten. Well-deserved placement. Definitely. All
1: right, going into number nine, um, uh, uh, sorry, number eight, um, another very deserving Australian act, Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever with Sideways to New Italy. Um, this has just been such an exciting release, and I think uh, they've really secured their places, one of the, like, best coming out of australia at the moment this and obviously they were very loved going into this but i just think people can't get enough of them at this point off the back of this album
2: will they make the shortlist for the australian music prize i think they will
1: all right moving on up to number seven um perfume genius with set my heart on fire immediately Number six, with Taylor Swift and Folklore. So this is actually quite um, an interesting one. Uh, It's been divisive in weird ways. So uh, people who have traditionally being Taylor Swift fans, um, have loved it or um, some of them have really not enjoyed it at all. But the most interesting thing I think is people who have not been Taylor Swift fans before have absolutely fallen all over this album. Um, It's a real shift in genre for her. Um, She's really stripped it back to this more traditional folky sort of sound
2: and got some huge collaborations on it. Can I just say it might not have gone down as well uh, with some fans but here... We've ranked her one notch higher than we did last year for Lover. So uh, it looks like we were bigger fans of Taylor Swift than Twin was.
1: (laughs) And she's uh, shared as well. There's obviously the new album that's out now too. Um, It's a follow-up already. So Taylor Swift is doing big things in 2020. Um, Moving on up there to uh, number five, this is a very, very exciting one. Um, So it is the year of the disco, we think, here at The Music. Um, It's Jessie Ware with What's Your Pleasure. Um, So it's just such a great album. It was a really, um, I think, a late contender for a lot of people. Um, It's come out in that kind of later part of the year, um, but people have just jumped on it and it is um, making lists everywhere.
2: I've got to agree with you. This one came out early in the year. In Australia, in England, she's massive. She's she's just absolutely a massive superstar over there. In Australia, this was a real slow burn, and uh, I've got to agree with Jess. It was it felt like this was the year of disco. We had Kylie, we had Rogine, we had Dua Lipa to a point. Uh, Christina and the Queens touched on it on some songs. It was definitely the year of disco, and Jessie Ware seems to have won <laughs> the, the, uh, the tussle between uh, Rogine and Kylie for who had the best disco album. And, again, I'm going to go back to it. I sound like a broken record. I think it was a reaction to lockdowns and isolation. We couldn't get out into the clubs, so suddenly our houses turned into uh, dance-offs over Zoom and things like that. Rogine Murphy took Zoom performances to a whole new level. Uh, if you have not yet seen a Roisin Murphy Zoom performance, get onto it. You've never seen so many uh, costume changes. There's one she did in Ibiza that is like it could have been a, a, an advertisement for an Airbnb. Um, but she, she, she interpreted disco for the isolation age and then there seemed to be this knock-on effect of Jessica Ware blew up um kylie blew up and yeah i i think this is a great placement and couldn't agree with you more jess it felt like the most i discoed out since 77 <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right moving on up to number four um is halsey with panic uh neil i know you were a big fan of this album like i was
0: yeah big time did you say panic or manic
1: did I say panic? I um, meant manic. So there it's twenty twenty.
0: Yeah, no, it was really, really, really great album, and I think I was like, I'm, I'm going to brag about it because I don't even care. I would think I was like one of few people in Australia who got to interview her on album release day. Um, a really, really strong album. I, I personally think her best to date. Obviously, I got to see her one of the lucky few thousand that saw her at Falls Festival. Um, probably unfairly snubbed by the Grammys as well. Um but yeah, I, I love this album
2: from from top to bottom. People should go back and listen to that green room episode. it uh, it's a good one. Oh, thanks, Andrew, I appreciate that.
1: I think, too, Halsey. she's covering a lot of topics in this as well. So there's obviously there's so much to take away in this album. She talks about some really sensitive topics um, and obviously things, yeah, really, really personal stuff. And I think there's a lot of different things that people can take away from it. So I think if you haven't been a fan of her before, you should definitely still go back and have a listen. Number three, Fiona Apple with Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which we had placed in our uh, best of the year so far in the middle of the year. And that album um, we wrote at the time that it's really going to be an album that defines the ISO age and looking back at that I think it really has it just was an album totally born out of 2020 and you couldn't uh, look back at this year and not see the importance of that record and what Fiona created there
2: agreed 100% agreed on that call all
1: right so then moving up to number two and this I'm is where shop. this is where things get very interesting um Andrew will give you more information on this, uh, a little bit more detail. But Tame Impala and The Slow Rush has actually come in number two for the year, which is a real surprise for us. Uh, he is a long-standing favourite of the music writers, and uh, yeah, very interesting result there for him, number two.
2: If uh, I'll just give you a little background on why Jess is so shocked, our writers love Tame Impala. And we go back to before we were a national magazine, uh, we, were, we were a state-based magazine. And so we go back as far as uh, 2010 and one of our magazines voted um, Tamiya Parler's Inner Speaker as Album of the Year. And ever since then, when they've dropped an album, it's won our Album of the Year title. So they did it again in 2012 with Wonerism and again in 2015 with Currents. So this is the first time... Tame Impala have missed number one album of the year for us. So who is it that could be the artist that has finally toppled Tame Impala from being declared our album of the year? I cannot wait to find out.
1: Okay, ready? So I'm just so excited and so beside myself about this album um i we we've loved this um the second that we heard it the second that we s- heard about this artist before big sound we saw her at big sound um and it's just an incredible result number 1 this year goes out to mayesha with Nara new which is just a, such an incredible result um she's just taken out the Aria award for best soul and r&b release um it's a debut album and she is just such an absolute talent and I am so happy that this is our number
2: one album. It's, it's a great record. When it dropped, uh, it got amazing critical reviews. People loved it. But then when it was reissued on vinyl, it became a massive chart hit. So this was great and I have to say one of the most beautiful albums of the year, no, the most beautiful album of the year, and one of the most beautiful Australian albums ever recorded. And to do this straight off the bat, I'm almost scared as to what she can do next. It, this has just floored us, and and I'm really proud of uh, what Jess said too. We called this, <laughs> we um, we we loved Miesha, and so when she got nominated for the Arias and won one, and has been making end of year lists, we saw this coming a mile away. So it's a great win and a great call. And uh, a, a worthy one to knock off Tame Impala.
1: Too um, with this album, when uh, when it came out, our writer Cyclone uh, she had written this review for it, and she actually wrapped it up saying that um, this album will likely be the Australian music, the winner of the Australian Music Prize. Um, and I think just with these accolades that she is getting over the last few months, I really think that will be the case, and I would not be shocked to see that um, top the list. For, for
2: 2020. When is uh, the a and quick, Just quickly, sorry, it's, uh, it, uh, it, we're, we're pretty much 50-50 split over Aussie albums taking out this title. So last year, uh, Lana Del Rey took it out, but uh, previous to that it was Courtney Barnett. Um, uh, Kendrick Lamar took it out in 2017 for Damn. Bowie in 2016 with Blackstar. Uh, I've mentioned Tame Impala have taken it out previously. Chet Faker won in 2014 with Built on Glass Kanye West got it for Jesus in 2013 and Bonnevere for Bonnevere in 2011. So we really do call out the Those albums all really do represent their years very, very well. So um, I, think, I think we're going to find out that Miesha really stands the test of time on this one. And even though she's not a household name yet, I think more and more people are going to go back to this album and realise what an amazing talent um, was tapped into with this release.
0: Well, that's it, guys. We did it. Woo! How do you feel?
2: Well, I feel like we probably only went an hour over time. So
0: <laughs> thanks for coming on. We should do this once a year.
1: <laughs> Thank you for having us, Neil.
0: Yeah. If, um, if you like what you heard, check out the music.com.au to check out all of the writer's polls. Every category is there. Of course, head to the podcast.com.au to check out uh, previous episodes of The Green Room, as well as The Take. That sucks. And Andrew's got his hand up. So what would you like,
2: Andrew? I want to say uh, thank you to everyone that's listened to Green Room and uh, read the uh, music.com.au. We're really sorry for everyone that's missed the magazine. Everyone's been very understanding as to why we haven't been in print this year. Uh, But I also want to say congratulations to Neil because this has been a super successful year for the Green Room podcast. It's it's expanded its listenership around the world. He's scoring just some of the best guests you can get to interview. I don't know why they want to talk to him. Some even come back for a second visit. <laughs> I don't get it. But uh, big congratulations. Um, and we've got lots of other podcasts on the network that you can tune into as well. Uh, that sucks. And The Take uh, are just some of them. But, uh, yeah, big congrats to Neil for The Green Room. And there's a new Rewind coming very, very soon with Steve Bell. Well,
0: thanks, Andrew. I think you're all right as well.
2: <laughs> but don't subscribe to me. Subscribe to, <laughs> subscribe to Green Rooms. I've been peppering like you to it, do a podcast your for years. about it. Share it. Email out the URLs. You can get it on Spotify, Apple, anywhere else you listen to uh, podcasts. Um, yeah, spend your summer going back over old Green Rooms and listening to interviews you've missed out on.
0: Again, check out themusic.com.au for all of the writers' polls. Andrew, Jessica, thank you so much again.
2: Thank you, Neil.
1: Thank you for having
0: us. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.
1: You too. Are you putting on the the Boobly Christmas album as
0: soon as we wrap
2: this up?
0: Obviously. Obviously, I'm doing all those things.
2: After he TikToks, the Body Odie Challenge.
0: Yeah, I can do all those things. I'll see you guys in 2021, hopefully. Not on Zoom. What a treat. Bye, Neil. Okay, great. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks so much. (laughs) Bye. Miss you.